1: Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.
0: Often we get stuck in the stories of what happened to us, then to explore what is actually stored in our bodies, nervous systems, what's actually the process of what we call trauma response that still resides inside. Trauma is like an echo hear it echoing through the generations. Unintegrated information will create cyclic patterns and it cycles into the next generations. When one person starts to do that work, it liquefies the family system and stuck patterns start to flow and conflicts that were there over decades I have seen start to resolve. Any kind of developmental work is supposed to make us stronger and more resilient. It's part of why we are alive, is actually part of our purpose. And all of this comes down to digesting our individual, ancestral and collective past.
2: Welcome to the Inspired Evolution. I'm your humble host, Amr Sandhu, and you're tuning in to a conscious conversation designed to help you grow. Our mission here is simple. It's for you to live your purpose, live your best life, live the life you love. This podcast is sponsored by Enthusiasm for Life, by great creation itself. To keep the good vibes flowing for myself and yourself, do us a solid. Subscribe to the Inspired Evolution podcast on YouTube, the home of the Inspired Evolution podcast. Now sit back, relax, open your mind, open your heart to this conversation and stay inspired keep evolving. This is an extremely profound conversation covering grounds from your own personal trauma, how to identify it, how to navigate it, how to heal it, and not just your own but also collective trauma, what's going on in the world, yeah, and again how to identify it, heal it, transcend it, and then ultimately Ancestral trauma as well. Seven generations back up your line, seven generations down your line. How to actually heal stuff that's happened for grandfathers, grandmothers, grandparents, you don't probably even know the names of anymore, but yet you, in your cellular memory, carry some of their wounding and also their strengths. So, learning to identify, tap into all of that, how to really hold space for yourself so that you can. Be present to heal. This is a deep, deep, deep conversation about your nervous system and how it regulates. From there, we launch into how to co-regulate, how to actually be in relationship with the other, such that we can actually help other people heal um, their nervous systems, their traumas, whether we're therapists or coaches or not, just how to actually positively hold space for somebody else. And ultimately, the conversation starts to bleed into how we can hold space for our ambitions, our purpose. And that's a podcast that will likely come even further to this particular conversation. So if you're new to this channel, please do hit subscribe. This is an incredible conversation with Thomas Hubel. This is, yeah, the kind of conversation that just leaves you different on the other side. For me, one of the biggest takeaways I'm taking from here is really taking the time to slow down, to digest my life as it's happening to me. And if that doesn't make sense to you, it will. And the ultimate goal being so that I can not be stuck in patterns because there are things that are left undigested to ultimately embrace greater and greater openness. Um, development is openness. This is a quantum conversation. It's a mystical conversation. It's a heavily science-based conversation. It's a psychological conversation. It's a conversation for your healing. Guys, as always, the invitation to please hit subscribe if you're loving these conversations. It lets the overlordic algorithmic thing know that you want more of these episodes, more of these kind of conversations to be spread further and wider. You can champion positivity with me, basically, if you hit subscribe, hit like, leave a comment. And ultimately, as you've noticed, the bigger the platform grows, the bigger the guests get and the richer the conversations continue to flow. So thank you so much for taking the time, two seconds, just to hit subscribe. Appreciate you forever. Welcome back to the Inspired Evolution. And we have with us today, Inspiring Our Evolution. Thomas Hubel. Thomas, how are you there, sir?
0: I'm good. Thank you. Thank you for having me on your podcast.
2: Oh, my God. I am so thankful for having you here today. For those that are tuning in to Thomas for the first time, please let me do the honors. Give me two secs. It's going to take a quick sec, but I promise it's worth it. He's a renowned teacher. He's an author, an international facilitator. He works within the complexity of systems and cultural change by integrating the core insights and great wisdom traditions That come from mysticism, but he blends them with the discoveries of science. And for those of you that are regulars of the channel, you kind of know that where spirituality meets science is a deep fascination point of mine. And yeah, I'm in complete awe of it. Yet Thomas seems to be able to uncover new frontiers for us to continue to explore. So I'm really excited to have this conversation today. And he's not just had it with us. He's taught and facilitated programs with over 100,000 people all over the world. He's published articles in Harvard Health, the Journal of Awareness-Based Systems Change, He's the author of Attuned, which is about practicing interdependence, which is a word I'm still grabbing my head around, to heal our trauma and our world, and Healing Collective Trauma, which he wrote in 2020, The Process for Integrating Our Intergenerational and Cultural Wounds. He, if that wasn't already enough, also hosts the annual Collective Trauma Summit, bringing together hundreds of prominent speakers and draws hundreds of thousands of people from all around the world to tune in, learning how to heal. And he also co-founded the Pocket Project, which is a NGO dedicated to addressing and integrating collective trauma throughout the world. Thomas, thank you so much for sharing yourself with you with us here today. I really appreciate having you here.
0: Yeah, it's a pleasure. I'm happy to be here.
2: <laughs> I um I wanted to start off with so many different entry points to our conversation. I was like, you know, we could we could start anywhere. We could start with vibration, we could start with attunement, we could start with resonance. And one of the things I noticed when I was Googling you, it was like, okay, the first thing I accidentally typed in is Thomas Hubel in my research for you. And the first thing that came up is, is Thomas Hubel married? (laughs) I was like, that's an interesting first Google prompt to have. And then the very, and then I deleted the is, and then it says like, and then it came up with Thomas Hubel ancestral healing. And (laughs) for some reason, the juxtaposition between the two in my head left me laughing. I'll leave it to you to interpret (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> the, what was happening there but I uh, I found myself I found myself very um, very intrigued by what was what was going on in your world but I think ancestral healing is something I would definitely love to get into as a conversation today mm-hmm. um, but I think let's start with the field that we are because that when I started approaching your work I found it quite fundamental for me to be able to progress through the layers to really have to understand myself less as well not less as flesh and matter um but equal parts flesh and matter as much as a dynamic field of information can you Uh, unpack that because i've had to wrap my head around it in the research uh, for your work but i think the audience would get a lot out of understanding uh, your awareness
0: Yes, of course. So, first of all, I am married. So, just to clear
2: that. (laughs) (laughs) Any ancestral healing left to do?
0: (laughs) (laughs) I did a lot of ancestral healing coming from Vienna. (laughs) So, so both questions are clear cut. And, um, yes, so, let's see. Like, when we just look at our nervous system, like... You see, anatomically, you can cut it out of the body and it looks like the brain with all the uh, spine, spinal cord and all the nerves. And, and it looks like pretty individual. It's taken out of an individual body. And it seems like this is it. You know, that's what's happening in your body. That's what your nervous system is for. And, but when we look at our conversation right now, What's happening right now is that you and I are entering a relational space Mm -hmm. and you feel me and I feel you in the conversation and we begin to form a mutual relational space. So a lot of the attunement is the basis for the data exchange between us. My body resonates with your body. Emotions resonate with each other. Our intellectual capacities exchange and our relationships, maybe our spirituality, our ancestors. So there's a lot of data that participates in the fact that we are speaking right now. And when when I look at my nervous system, everything that I know about myself, so when I feel my hand, what I feel is ongoing data flow. It's very important to understand the nervous system is channeling data all the time. It's a data flow. So I know myself through tuning into the data flow that my nervous system channels up and down the spine all the time. So when we say, oh, what I think, what I feel, my emotions, when I feel you, all of that is data. It's an information field. The more I am able to access that information field, I I get a lot of data access to the dimensions that I that are part of my experience right now. So, a lot of the spiritual practice is to in, increase the access points to that what we could also call field, because your nervous system does the same. Everybody who listens to us, every nervous system is doing the same. So we are sitting in a field of information and we learned, we were trained to think, that this is a very individualized world everybody is stuck in their bodies needs to manage their lives but actually the reality is a bit different we are all very social beings we are all wired we can't survive the beginning of our life without being part of a community or part of a a space a relational space then we individualize a bit but then also when we grow older we are again very much oriented towards communities if we have the chance if we don't suffer from loneliness and and other things so we are we are part of a social network so m- most of our nervous system is wired to be social and and that's why uh i think what you when you talk about the field when when i studied collective trauma deeply in the last 20 plus years i saw wow we are all Of course, we all have an individual aspect of our nervous system, but this anatomical structure that we look at is encoding for individual data. It's also encoding for ancestral data, and it's also encoding for the collective data. So we have an individual ancestral and collective part that lives in the complexity of this amazing biocomputer, And it's constantly channeling data. So we are constantly part of a living field that includes the biosphere. It's not just human centric. It's like it includes everything that you can perceive, including the universe. And so that's, that's, I think, very important because often we think of ourselves as static, but there is nothing static in my self-perception. Everything is just flow. Some parts I have less access to, they feel a bit more stuck or they are not appearing in my awareness at all. So we call those unconscious. But everything I know about myself is constant movement. And when we feel each other, we are tuning into each each other's movement. It's like two surfers meeting on the wave. And if we can surf together, so we're going to have a conversation. But if one of us is too fast and the other one is slower there's li- very little time where we actually meet. And so that's why attunement is, is the the process of synchronizing nervous systems so that the data flow is set, and then we can exchange amazing data. So that's maybe the beginning like, of an answer to your question.
2: I love that. And I think the natural next question is to ask, how do we synchronize? But I think before we get there, let's ask the question, which is, what Is what what does it look like when we're not synchronized and we're interacting? Um, Yeah, can you articulate that a little bit for
0: us? Yeah, I mean, we I think we know many of us know how that feels. That when sometimes we are either triggered and we are very explosive, or we overreact, or we you know we are reactive, or other people when they get triggered, they, they withdraw, they become distant, they become indifferent, and so when we are when we are not centered, where we are attuned naturally, because I think being attuned is our natural state. It's not something that we have to put a lot of effort in. We can train it. But why we have to train it is because many of us didn't experience fully attuned parents, grandparents, teachers, you know, politicians. Like when you look at our society, we grow up in a society that is partly very much not attuned (laughs) and fragmented and and there are also attuned moments that we experience so it's like that we our the the intergenerational trauma transmission also makes sure that we grow up in a world that uh, not everybody grows up in the ideal circumstances to really detox the wounds of the past and to grow up and just be attuned But I think we have the chance. And when it doesn't feel that way, it feels we go into arguments, we become defensive, it feels we withdraw, we feel misunderstood, we feel that what we are saying is not landing, we cut each other in the conversation, we we are not in a dance together. So it becomes very me-centered. The less we are attuned, the more it's about me. The more I'm attuned, it's about us like the that's why interdependence in in the book title interdependence is that i know i'm interdependent with you i'm not dependent i'm also not independent be, but i'm interdependent because you add information to the ecosystem i add information to the ecosystem and we are breathing the information that we both put in if you live in a let's say we all, we we, were, we lived in a pond and we are swimming every day in the pond. So, if both of us put tox- toxins every day in, into that pond, we we will breathe and we will like consume that tox those toxins too. So, our bodies will get weaker and it will hurt us. But if we put clear water in that pond, so we will enjoy the fresh water. And that's, I think, how every one of us can think about what kind of ecosystemic effect we have.
2: Mm. Cause- I definitely have had the experience of even having done it myself where I've noticed I'm in a conversation and where two people talking at each other, not really listening to each other, just waiting for the space in between the words to say something. And then the other person says something It's like, we're almost having two monologues in the same space. Um, I've definitely had that experience and witnessed it more often than I can actually care to admit. Um, there is a question, and i will we'll cease my uh this line of questioning after 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 this um, Is there some form of resilience that we form though being is it disattuned or unattuned or um through our development because learning to swim through those toxic waters I'm sure there's there's some Stoics in us that sort of say, well that develops sort of life hardening life resilience life skills any benefits? To that, or because it's swimming in the toxic water all the time, it just you know it's overwhelming for the nervous system after all. yeah, your thoughts
0: yeah, I think let's let's look at that um, first of all, not being attuned means we needed to put some defense mechanism in place as we were growing up. They protected us from, from pain. Whatever that pain was, pain because I was neglected, pain because my parents were unavailable. There was violence in the home. There was alcoholism. I don't know whatever was in the home. The pain that was too much. I needed to because a child can't leave. I often say to people, be aware that you know your kids are your prisoners. If they can't just leave, a five-year-old doesn't just walk out. You know walk away it's like we 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 have to stay somehow and so what do you do if you hardly can change your external circumstances you start over regulating your internal circumstances and so it means when we are not attuned it's not that we cannot do something that it's a personal weakness that it's a dysfunction it's a function Because not feeling something, pulling out of relationships and isolating myself from something that's overwhelming when I'm in contact every day with it, is very intelligent. So we we have to say that not being attuned is an intelligent process. So there is already something intelligent and resilient in managing difficult ecosystemic effects in our family systems or in our schools. When somebody gets every day bullied at school and the parents don't protect their child and the child has no boarding schools I had many people in my groups that uh, were so traumatized just from going to boarding schools and and they couldn't leave and there was no protection and they experienced this over years of course you shut down and then to feel other people is the last thing you want to do because that's exactly where the pain came from you're so happy when you're on your own and and but you're not really happy, but that's was the defense. It's much better for the child to not open up and not trust and be suspicious than to to give yourself to like a relational context. And so let's see first of all that not being attuned is is a function that needed to be put in place in order to that was better than to stay open. And the second thing is, of course, when we do that, it's like when a tree, let's say a tree grows and there is an obstacle here. So, of course, the tree will grow around it. So, we all also, our intelligence is not that we are 100% stuck in the defense mechanism. Our intelligence will grow around it. So, we will express other capacities because we need to compensate on what's not working directly. So, some people, they become super smart. I mean, they are already smart, but they overpower their intellect because the emotional dimension cannot fully connect. So then you have people that have tremendous minds in order to balance what physically and emotionally cannot be perceived anymore. And But when you bring the emotional intelligence back and the physical intelligence back through integrative work, then the mind and the emotions and the body really work together as one expression, and that's very powerful and so of course, there will be something that we learn, and also, in the moment we integrate those traumatic influ- uh, impacts and mechanisms that we developed because we had trauma experiences, then um, I think we we learn a lot we call this post-traumatic learning. So the trauma integration. So when I open up those defenses, I look what was really painful underneath. Why did I put this in place in the first place, but not uh, intellectually, but holistically. Then the integration of that wound makes me actually wiser. So I become somebody that I cannot predict because I integrate my trauma into learning. So it enriches my capacity. And also... As you mentioned before, in the Collective Trauma Summit, I have interviewed so many people that do amazing work in the world, and every single person went through traumatic experiences, they turned it around, and they became a remedy for the world. Whatever they felt called to do, through their own healing, they turbocharged their gifts, and I think that's amazing. We become a remedy for what was hurt in us becomes our gift, if you look at it. And I think that's a very hopeful message.
2: Yeah, the archetype of the, the wounded healer is such a strong one. And I, I just, yeah, it's profound, actually. Um, the more you sit with it, definitely.
1: Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place.
2: As you were mentioning what um, being unattuned looked like, I felt we ran the risk a little bit of people that were introverted feeling like, you know, just because they're introverted, they may not be as socially open, that they may be identifying with themselves as um, unattuned. So I'm going to use that as a leverage point because as an access point to asking what attunement Does look and feel like because then you mentioned openness which even as you mentioned the word openness uh, something about the field we're in I could feel all my stuck points (laughs) Uh, and um, well not maybe not all of them but the ones that I was open to feeling Um, and you mentioned looking at it holistically but you were making the distillation between mind looking and over mentalization which was a big takeaway i got from the book um and looking at it holistically and you were aimed at your body um so yeah what does it look like to to be attuned um and inviting us into attunement yeah
0: i think uh first of all i want to say it's great that you bring up the introvert extrovert uh part because you're right that one could understand that that's why i also said before Some lack of attunement expresses itself through over people that are overly like uh, out with their energy, and then there are people that we learn to pull our energy in, and then that's our defense mechanism. So both actually has areas, and not, and that's uh, it's important to uh, repeat that it doesn't mean that we are 100% not attuned. It's just that parts of us cannot perceive the world the way it is around us and within us because the parts that are more shut down or the parts that learned by just going out, just being out there, that's my best defense. And, and, the, and that's also a lack of attunement to myself. So then there is a central... A center part that there I am more in my flow so I can be I turn my attention inwards I can turn my attention fully I can act in the world and contribute and it's a fluid movement so I'm happy that you brought that up because both is actually lacking some attunement and both has also attunement both versions they are not hundred percent we're not hundred percent stuck there's parts of us that are, uh, but those parts we meet in conversations that we have over and over again. I often say if you have with your intimate partner, if you if you discuss the same thing in the same way for the 20th time, then, then something is not, we are not talking to each other. We are in our patterns. So it's a repetitive pattern. It's not anymore. So we are just repeating the past together. And, so these moments are the moments where we notice, or oh, we are actually not attuned. Back to your question, um, I think we we can feel attunement through, first of all, paying attention. It means when I come into a conversation and I'm already a bit tight because either I'm, I don't know, I'm scared, I'm stressed, I had a had a difficult conversation before, and I come into a team meeting and I'm sitting in it, but I'm actually tight. So chances are that I will not be fully with who's in the room, what's happening in the room. And the other side is, oh, I'm grounded, I'm open. I feel relatively relaxed. I'm coming into a space, let's say there's a team meeting. I come into the space, I notice everybody who's here because my nervous system is in what we call the social engagement zone. So it's, it's regulated. It's pretty relaxed. So I can, I'm, I'm able to perceive. I'm able to also listen because the more stressed we get, either we shut down or we start talking all the time instead of, ah, I can sit there. I can listen. I have a good balance between taking an information in and putting it out and participating in what's needed, but I don't, overly take the place that in the space. I know when to step in when I'm required, and I also know when somebody else should step in because they are more needed than me. So all these regulations that make actually a great team meeting, for example, or a great conversation, um, are are being reduced when we are not really attuned, and they are flourishing when we are attuned. And the second step is, that we begin to feel each other, that when I feel you, so my body and my nervous system clicks with your body. So what's happening in your body is um, more, that's why I call it transparent communication, becomes more transparent when we are attuned. When you feel fear, or when you feel joy, my my emotional system immediately registers that. So you you don't actually have to tell me what you feel because i feel it anyway and i think in our culture when when we say okay what's actually emotional health once i need to ask a person what he or she feels i know already that i am not really feeling it i can ask it because i'm really curious and i and the person uh is exploring something but if i ask because i don't feel then it shows already that we are not fully in sync which is okay i think it's part of our world but it's something to notice because once i begin to notice the moments when it's when it's lacking i am already growing because i begin to notice what was so normal before i begin to see ah actually yeah right i didn't i didn't notice that and and without uh, beating myself up and saying oh that's a, a bad thing no it's not a bad thing it's just that's my Growing edge. That's where I'm growing as a human being. That I begin to notice the moments when I'm not fully there, and and uh, so there is like and and we also feel it when we say because I say in, in the transparent communication practice that transparent communication is that when I speak I feel I have a self contact I feel myself I feel what's happening in my body if I'm tight open fluid I I feel the space in between us and and I feel you. So when we want to contribute to to a social space I think these three elements should be part of it sometimes it's not possible because when we are triggered we sometimes lose contact to the other person and we are too busy with what's happening in ourselves that's okay it's it's important that we when we are triggered that we acknowledge that that's happening and not that shouldn't happen but that it happens more and more in an awareness space that I bring more compassion to myself and say, yes, that's that's my growing edge. That's part of me. I begin to accept that. And that's also that helps me to look at it deeper. And so attunement has this feeling of resonance, mutual flow. Also, when we sit here now and we are attuned to each other, then we feel inspired by each other because you say things that brings up stuff in me, it brings up stuff in you and we enter a dance. And I think that dance is is a sign of attunement. And and the last thing, maybe not to make it too long, is what I also describe in the book is that for every professional, let's say every therapist or every coach or people that work with clients, I think for us, the level how we can we need to integrate our nervous system where we are traumatized because where my trauma resides, I cannot feel you. I feel you through a distortion, through a noise. Um, so my nervous system is not open to pick you up. What you send out to me because I'm, I'm uh, my nervous system is stuck. So, but when I open, when I integrate those parts, because I cannot train the traumatized areas. I can train everything around it, but I can't train that part. So my my clients are in a shadow. I can't see that part of the person. Even if I think I see them, I can't feel them. And I also can't see part of their development. So it's like a, a blinder. It's like a filter. And And when I integrate my nervous system, it becomes first open and integrated, and then I can train it. So when we do trauma work, we refine that attunement skill to an extent that we when somebody speaks about fear, we can we are able to track where in which level of development did that fear start and what how did it evolve? Where is trauma stored in the body? Let's say when somebody got traumatized at age three. So then when the person comes to my office and starts to speak, immediately my whole nervous system is tracking where that resides, because on that level we need relationship of course we need a mature relationship but we need the relationship on that level where the trauma lives in the body of the person so I'm giving this just as an example to see wow they're like when you see top athletes they're doing stuff that looks amazing but you know that you can't do anything close and I think in the attunement practice we can refine for the ones that are interested we can refine that skill to be really very precisely attuned if we choose such a profession, for example, where where we need it.
2: Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. One of the subtleties that's present for me in what you're sharing is because I'm aware that because it's nervous system work, it's about noticing the subtleties in the conversation, I'm sure in the dialogue and Conversation sounds very verbal, but dialogue maybe invites in a more field-like awareness into the dance. But I'm also conscious that because of I'm, I suffer from overmentalizing things. I, when I read it in the book, I was like, "Oh, I've done that plenty of times." <laughs> <laughs> and I'm conscious that for someone listening in that is prone to overmentalizing, may mistake the taking in the extra information that's available when in dialogue, um, potentially utilizing something like hypervigilance instead of like, actually the, the like regulating into, can you, yeah, just speak to.
0: Yeah, that's perfect. That's perfect. Yeah. Yeah. That's perfect. It's also very important. Like for some people, the, survival strategy, so to speak, was to be hyper-vigilant because we needed to be very aware and parents were either emotionally or physically abusive. We needed to be very aware when it's dangerous. So we trained our senses from early on to actually be very well attuned in those moments because. Our physical or emotional safety depended dependent on it. So this hypervigilance is, is a very important defense mechanism so that we don't judge that, oh, I shouldn't have that, but that we see that it's based on stress and it's based on fear and it needs to be looked at. So we need to examine that. But it also means that some of us develop tremendous attunement capacities because we, we we needed that so much. but of course it's based on on a on a very deep pain and so but what what happens is when we when we integrate that pain and the fear and the stress that whatever we needed to protect ourselves from, then it stays like as an amazing capacity because we trained it from early on. it's like some people, they are very present in the space, even if they're very much introverted, they're very present in the space because that's what they have learned very early on. And they observe many things. They see much more than most of the people in the room. And it's amazing. It's an amazing skill. And, and I think that's why I often say let's look at our the parts that seem not to work well or to be over-exaggerated, that they are not wrong. They are right in their way. We just need to learn how to connect to the intelligence with which we develop those aspects of ourselves. Nothing is wrong because everything is there for a reason. Once it's there, we developed that in those circumstances because it was the best option that we had. And... So this depathologizing way of looking at it, but also an awareness, yes, I am often attuned and then I get overwhelmed and I get depleted because I'm so trained to feel so many things that I can't rest in myself and I cannot regenerate. I can also say to people, listen, I'm not in the mood. I'm I'm not available for this. I need my space. I, I want to be with myself so that I have good boundaries that I can say, yes, I, I'm on service. I'm here and I know when I'm not. And and for some people, they can say no. They And then the giving exhausts them. And then it looks like people, other people like that because it feels like, wow, it's great. But we need to see when that's really coming out of a of an internal strength, or where it's a mix between internal strength and also, for example, the hypervigilance that you spoke about. These are very important explorations. That's why looking at things black and white is not helpful here because they're always shaded, they're always more complex. And I think that's the beauty when we attune to each other, we find many nuances um, of our development. And I think if you're curious, I mean, I am fascinated by this stuff. So that's why I'm <laughs> spending all my time to find out more. And every group that I give or every person I see, I always learn something because I find it so fascinating. Um, yeah.
2: I want to ask about digestion. And I know for those persons <laughs> tuning in, they're like, what, you just changed gears? Like we're talking about food now? And actually, no. Um, it wasn't until I actually came across your work that I actually, like it, it makes so much sense, digest the emotion and digest even, and maybe you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm starting to look at it as, as having the ability to digest even patterns that have been put in place that are no longer in service. There's an opportunity to digest it and i love the concept of digestion because something comes in serves you for a while you eliminate give it back to the earth it comes whole again but for some reason i never coupled digestion with emotion (laughs) i just never had those two in the same like they didn't go in the same sentence (laughs) other than oh i ate something that makes me feel weird (laughs) that was that was where emotion and, uh, and and digestion came together but it's been a um a beautiful piece to really have in my awareness. Can you describe um what you mean by digesting emotions and potentially yeah, what indigestion <laughs> stuckness may <laughs> Exactly we come to, how we come to working through some indigestion? <laughs> Digestive
0: disorders look like that. uh yeah, first of all, it's beautiful that you bring it up because I think in our fast-paced culture, we are, which is sometimes based on traumatic stress, so that we're actually too fast, we are too driven, we are too out there. We we forget that, you know, our nervous system has the capacity to be out there, to survive, to create, to be. It's amazing, but our nervous system also needs to. Slow down. We need to be able to digest our emotions, obviously, our food. We know that trauma influences our digestion. It influences very strongly the nervous system in our bellies, and, and that's responsible for the digestive processes. So the more stressed we are, the chances are higher that our digestion is less functional that we develop over time. And these things don't happen from one day to another usually. There's a gradient. But if you live in these bodies for decades, it's it's gonna have a toll. And and then the so there is a, a level of that many digestive issues that people have, illnesses, are are based much deeper on traumatic stress that the system can't uh process. And so trauma in itself is a non-digested experience. So that's to start with. The, the trauma that has been shut down because it was too much is dead. It's, it's a digestive Sorry. issue. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
2: right.
0: and then, so everything that comes on top of it like every experience that is like, there's a small mountain and then you put stuff on it. The mountain grows a bit, but if every day or every other day you put stuff on that mountain, after some years, you have a huge mountain there that is undigested because you had many relationship fights. You had this, you had that, you had issues in society or in your workplaces. So a lot. And that's why I think, we need especially because we live in a in a world where data the very data that makes this possible right now is speeding up as we speak the world's getting faster every second so and that's amazing but we that also means there's so much information that our nervous systems haven't had any genetic updates to deal with that kind of amazing data acceleration. So there's any way <clears throat> every day a little bit more stress on, on us to deal with the, with the data that's coming. So if there is already undigested stuff and the data is growing, that creates a stronger friction because that part, my trauma, cannot digest that higher speed of data. So it creates naturally more stress. And so it creates more heat and I think that's also what global warming at the end of the day of course it's CO2 and so but inside in our inner world as billions of people there is more and more friction between the undigested past and the growth of speed the speed of life is growing and that creates more heat more heat more mental health issues more inflammatory processes more health issues more fragmentation in society we see it all over at the moment and and so the creating space saying sometimes only five minutes doesn't have to we don't have to go to a meditation retreat every other week but to know oh i consciously regulate myself sometimes to have a cup of tea to take some deeper breaths sit down slow down my breathing Say, okay, I let especially when I feel that stuff, I had a difficult meeting, it's still have, working in me. Why did he say this? Why did I see myself arguing in myself? And then I say, okay, but that's undigested information. So I need to digest this somehow. And better I digest it during my day, then it starts to encroach on my sleep, which, of course, our sleep is also there to digest when we dream and when we, we integrate stuff. But if I go to sleep more relaxed, I will sleep deeper, I will be more refreshed, and I will have a healthier sleep cycle. And so having a, a practice where I say, okay, the dimension of space, space means I'm able to reflect, space means I'm able to digest, I make some space just to be. And if at five minutes sometimes, oh, I'm just five minutes taking a moment, I feel my body I breathe when I slow down my breathing. I put my nervous system easier into relaxation and I feel what's happening. I just listen to what's moving inside. Oh, there's still a bit of a fear. There's some overexcitement. There's some stress. There's some. Okay, yes. And then I say yes to all the stuff I find. And I say, okay, yes, I'm here and I'm digesting. And so stress can be decreased, emotions can be digested mental noise can be slowly let go and and of course if i have a regular meditation practice or like a contemplative practice it would just boost that kind of function but it's it doesn't have to be it's not about investing necessarily a lot of time it's having a regular way Or before I go to sleep, before I go to sleep, I tune in with my body, notice where am I tight, where am I open, what's what's still circulating from the day. I give it some awareness. I let it just be instead of trying to fix it. And like that, my nervous system can digest. I think that you brought this up is very important because I think our culture suffers from the lack of capacity and space to digest the experience and and that's where we get overloaded over time and then we feel depleted and then we need a vacation, not because we want a vacation to do great stuff and have fun, we need a vacation because our battery is so low that we need to recharge (laughs) and it means that my life is not fully sustainable
2: yeah it's a yeah I can totally recognize that we, through that process, even lose, the more we do that, we lose the skill and the ability to learn how to decompress because we're, <laughs> we're perpetually on that frequency of mm, that right. the world. That's right. Runs us into, runs with us. It's the running.
0: <laughs> and maybe, maybe I have one more thing now that you're saying this. That because also in organizations, you know, some some companies or organizations go through traumatic experiences or go through very stressful phases, we also need that collectively. We need collective spaces. Or after COVID, it's like there were two, two years of COVID, the world has changed tremendously. Now, after two years, it seems like everything stopped and we're just continuing as normal with all the the after effects and and instead of saying okay let's stop let's create cultural spaces where we for a moment we reflect what actually happened there because a lot of stuff happened there that affects us now and and digest it and then move on that would be a great way like a sustainable way of living and so sorry that i interrupt you but i think that's important that there's a collective dimension digestion
2: Mm. It's perfect because we're, we're definitely attuned because that's kind of where I was going. <laughs> <Perfect. laughs> there, um, Just to add to your point, I, I remember delivering a seminar and just right after COVID actually, and I could just see that having delivered seminars prior to COVID, people would love to come to workshops together, meet like-minded, like-hearted, like-soul people, bounce off each other, make new friends. And then post-COVID, the room was so stiff so rigid people were so used to being isolated in pods for so long the skill to even just like hey how's it going how was your day It's like oh no no no, i'm here in my space you know and you could feel you know just the the consequences um of yeah just the the shift that we had gone through collectively which we were talking about digestion and now we're talking about the collective and i think there's a point for well, when I felt into it for myself, was potentially overwhelm, um, which I'm conscious to use that word because, yeah, for me it's – I might not say a sign of trauma, but, it, you know, it's, it's good to notice overwhelm in case it gets stuck. Um, generations of things that haven't been digested in our lineages and our lines and in our communities – coming to grips with the fact that we have the opportunity actually to digest something that runs well seven generations backwards and also clean it up for seven generations forwards is that part is quite inspiring <laughs> i have to say when i look at my That's son right. I'm like, Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> time to get to work <laughs> you know? but it's also um there is a there is a moment of overwhelm in there thinking about holy shit, Amrit, you don't even know your dad's, dad's, dad's name. I don't know his name. And I've had Stephen Jenkinson on the podcast about dying wise and he said, you know, there's a, you're somewhat homeless because of this actually, like you are not connected to your roots in the earth um, as deeply. You don't know where your ancestors are buried. There's a, there's a thing there for you to recognize that, you are somewhat orphaned in your ways. Um, and just recognising that even though I didn't know this gentleman's name, I am maybe digesting and I have the opportunity to digest things that potentially my lineage has been carrying for quite some time. And I'll be the first to admit it vulnerably here, like alcohol is something that, you know, just in my culture is is huge, is huge, is a big part of how communities connect There's a source of pride around, you know, just the the image that it contains for an individual. And I've noticed that in my system a lot and I've been able to go, okay, you know, I know that this is particularly a vice for Amrit because it's somewhat bigger than Amrit. It comes down the tree to Amrit, you know. Um, Yeah, I wanted to sort of use the opportunity of this conversation to invite in to our awareness that we can potentially, question mark, digest stuff that is not even ours.
0: That's beautiful. Yeah, that's exactly, I think, the next step when we talk about digestion is how do we digest the wounds that our ancestors, parents, grandparents, great-grandparents echoed through to us. Like when we see... Let's see, let's say all our ancestors, the ancestral, the generations, trauma is like an echo, like somebody hit the drum, but then you hear it. You hear it echoing through the generations. So I often say what our parents couldn't digest and couldn't integrate they hand it over to us unconsciously, not because they were vicious or they were, I don't know, they, they were ill-meaning, not at all, but because that data doesn't disappear. The past, which means split of data, doesn't disappear. So it echoes through the generations. And that's why what you said is so important. We, and I think it's part of why we are alive, We have the power not only to have a great career. Yeah, it's great to have a great career and to do things that we really love because it gives us joy and it contributes to the community. It's fantastic. But the stuff that seems like difficult in the way problematic, you know, stuck is actually part of our purpose. There's a Western, like a capitalistic purpose is like, okay, how can you have your dream job? But even if you have your dream job, you take all your stuff with you. It's not that it's, it's <laughs> and the opposite. If you have a dream job, all your stuff will come up anyway. I have seen CEOs, like they stepped into a new role and then they, wow, I have this job. And then, oh, a few days later, that increase of energy that runs through the person brings up more stuff. So suddenly you start to struggle with stuff that comes up in you that is not integrated. And yeah, you have a better job now, but you also have another job. And better, we take on the second job as well, which means my stuff is my purpose too. Why? Because I know what a tremendous contribution that is to the former generations and to the future generations. Because if I don't do it, they have to do it. And there is no way around it, because unintegrated information will create cyclic patterns and it cycles into the next generations. And we know now, we are running a epigenetic study in one of our training programs right now. We, are, we know that there are epigenetic changes that traumatic influences create epigenetic changes that influence the next generations. There are there are experiments around that. And and so it says also that physically, psychologically socially, spiritually, we, we are either passing unintegrated stuff on or we reduce that load through our life. And I think that's why in some traditions they call saints the ones that leave without the trace. Mm-hmm. What does it mean? That the package we took on that creates traces, like the weight creates traces in the sand. The lighter is your weight, you know, the backpack that you came with the more stuff you release the less you leave traces because you the weight's being reduced so the more the more flow will run through this system and the more openness the more compassion these are all qualities that come with reducing traumatic impact or the after effects of trauma and so that i think there's a beauty to that process and i've seen many people over the years change tremendously in their lives and really changed it often many of them changed the direction of their former life and 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 it was amazing but it's work it doesn't come just like this we need to invest something into digesting our own childhood wounds digesting also what our parents or our grandparents carried and they're beautiful beautiful and also sometimes challenging of us. But there are ways to do that. We do a lot of ancestral healing work. And it's amazing what kind of changes suddenly you see in family systems. When one person starts to do that work, it liquefies the family system and stuck patterns start to flow and strange people start talking to each other. Conflicts that were there over decades I have seen start to resolve. And it's amazing. But it also means... We need to put energy into it. And it's not just easy. Because the past is not easy. And what we did as humans to each other over thousands of years is not pretty. We waged wars. There was a lot of sexual violence. There was a lot of racism. Or is a lot of racism. There is a lot of colonialism. What What happens in the world is not pretty. And I think any kind of developmental work plus our spirituality is supposed to make us stronger and more resilient and more open to be with that world. That is amazing. You know, when you see some aspects of our world, they are so beautiful that you're just in awe. And there are some parts of the world that are very, very painful and they are happening as we speak. And and I think being able to... Um, Live in both more and more also means that when I integrate my my load that I came with, I become more able to move in that world more freely. So freedom is not just being able to avoid pain, but freedom is to be in it consciously. and And that's, I think, many people that do great work in the world needed to go through a process to heal themselves in order to be able to be in those situations and work with those topics and not burn out. Because many people also burn out, get depleted, substance abuse, all kinds of other things happen, suicidal rates go up. Um, But we can do it sustainably too. And I think all of this comes down to digesting our individual ancestral and collective past.
2: Why is it so hard to look at our own stuff in there? But I think the question was wanting to come out initially as there's a fear that we have of taking on each other's stuff, actually. You know, we talk about relational field, but we started the conversation, now we're talking about our line and holding space for the other um is there a limitation within potentially the the self is there a fear within me um that inhibits me from what i'm willing to look at within myself that blocks me from having the courage to potentially hold space openly for another because there is a There is a resistance. I can feel that. Um, Is it because I potentially don't know how to deal with my own emotions that I'm afraid of holding space for other people's emotions?
0: Mm. Yeah, yeah, that's an amazing question. Let's say like that. Um, I think everybody who goes through the process of holding space for other people more or less goes through a similar arc, so of course, people try to learn therapy methods or some healing methods, and of course we need some skills, so okay, so that's skill building but then when we when we meet with people or when we run groups so the the trauma that I carry in my system, and let's face it. Even if we know some of the symptoms of our trauma, we don't know our trauma, really. Because once we know it, knowing doesn't mean I know about it. Knowing means physically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually, whatever, ancestrally, like I'm in it. I can feel it. That's what means I know it. Knowing about it. Great, but that, that's not really help. I mean, it's great as a first step, but it's not really releasing my trauma, just that I know that I carry it and I know where it comes from. Some people say, yeah, but I know my trauma. I say, great. So how much did that help you? Did
2: no, you just
0: Yeah, anything? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's great that you know it that, it, that it happened to you. And so often we get stuck in the stories of what happened to us, then to explore what is actually stored in our bodies, nervous systems, emotions, what's actually the process of, that we call trauma response that still resides inside. So when I hold space for somebody else and I feel open and present and it's great, and then after the session, Or in the session, I feel it's a bit tight and sometimes, I don't know, I don't know where to go with the session. And then I walk away and I feel a bit tight or I feel a bit sad or I feel my solar plexus is tight or my body becomes a bit stiff. So then I said, oh, I took on some energy. And I would say, not really, because I'm doing a lot of supervision with therapists and coaches. And I say, but it's great that you felt it. Now, and it's not a mistake, because we all, everybody who holds space for people will come across situations that are more difficult. That's great. That's part of our learning. If I take that into a supervision space, and then somebody looks with me, what's actually the unconscious part in me that couldn't feel the client because I carry a similar quality inside? Then, of course, the client, because of the intimacy of the container, will trigger the music starts to ring in me too you know i will feel i will suddenly feel sad i can feel either sad because i feel the client's sadness but if that sadness stays in me when the client left the room then it is not that i took on his or her energy it's it triggered some sadness that i might not even be aware about of, that i carry but, uh, but then it's my own energy that started to vibrate and then i say okay that's perfectly okay because that's we are all nobody is born without stuff it's okay that that happens it's just important what is the process that i put in place that i can look at it and then every interaction like that is actually a turbocharging to my to my growth because i will grow all the time that's why that's why therapists go to supervision because because when when we when it's um whenever there is some kind of interference and I go to somebody that can help me with this, I look at my stuff, I grow, and everybody around that therapist will grow because all the the parts that couldn't land in the therapist suddenly can land. And I also wrote in a book about that 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 when we clear ourselves all the time, and it's not that we compulsively process, but if I come across a difficulty... I'm committed to look at it. The Tao Te Ching in the translation of uh, Stephen Mitchell says, when the master runs into difficulties, she stops and she gives herself to it. And I think that's a wonderful way of expressing because many people want to get rid of their difficulties mm-hmm. instead of saying, oh, when I run into a challenge, and I'm not talking about the terror attack, of course it's important to save oneself and be safe or help others, of course, but to, we are talking about daily life situations that you walk away from a therapy session and you feel, you don't feel good, then, wow, instead of, oh, it's like, wow, I, I've got something to see. Like my clients show me something that I cannot see myself. That's amazing if i have the right process simply because if i don't look at it i will recreate it then two weeks later there will be another client that touches the same point in me and i cannot support that client and i will feel bad again and that's not helpful but if i look at it then i am on an upward spiral and then i found wow that's the highway to development and that's true for every leader in an, in an organization or everybody in an organization if your colleague triggers you fantastic because then you have something to look at and and then you grow all the time instead of complaining about life. And I'm not talking again about racist actions, for example. Some people, we need to stop racism. It's that there's not, oh, that's what What can you learn from this? No, that's violent, that's uh, that's hurting human rights, and that cannot continue. I think that we need to be very clear about violent situations or interpersonal moments where people have stuff inside that we also have that triggers us. That's a different thing. Um but I think that that uh, so that's why I think what you the the question you ask is very, very important, because many people say, oh, I took on their stuff versus, oh, I, I feel that I carry something very similar inside. And now I begin to I, I felt it while I talk to that person. I also feel oh somebody is very angry or passively aggressive, angry. And when you see that person, you just become angry. And then you know, and they say, Yeah, because of that person, no, it's you. <laughs> if you are clear inside, even if somebody is passively aggressive and angry, uh that's it, yeah, that's the person, but it doesn't mean that you feel bad. But if you become very reactive, then it's your stuff that makes you reactive, it's nothing to do with that person.
2: I'm remembering back to the book, um, in the early stages, yeah, you. Discuss deeply the the concepts of quantum entanglement and how when two protons are fired and they split and then one hits a wall miles away from the other one, <laughs> this one feels its effect of hitting in the wall. <laughs> Why that, that, does that one feel it too? <laughs> and I and then I then then there's this there's this then I start over mentalizing things and I know this is not useful for anybody but I'm gonna just remark my idiosyncrasies here on the podcast which is we all came from a big bang (laughs) and it's all just been cascading and colliding ever since then and maybe um that to sort of enter into the conversation because i'm conscious that there is a type a personality in me somewhere in there as well that will be seeking through this podcast this conversation to be a hundred percent (laughs) attuned right exactly exactly can you temper that for us a little bit, please?
0: <laughs> yeah, no, you said it. It's like there is that's another defense mechanism is looking for perfection. Because for even in the spiritual practice, many people look for, okay, how long do I need to practice to get there? Uh, you cannot uh, imagine how many people ask me, okay, how long do I need to do this work? And if I were to answer this in any way, in a in a in a in a way that relates to time, I completely miss the point. Why? because once I understand how trauma works, I know in the traumatic moment, life says here in space and time, life is not good for me when somebody gets abused, hurt, there's violence. The, the whole biological system says no, it's too much, it's too much, I can't handle that in that experience. So going out of the experiencing, experience, dispersing space and time, fragmenting space-time, is very important. It's an intelligent function that helps us to survive adverse moments better. So even when some people struggle, I should be more present, Yeah, but let's have a look at that because if you are not present, let's explore what that is. And once we know what was maybe the intelligence of you not being present, then you might naturally come here. And then presence is not an effort; it's just a state; it just is. And so, and and one the other one is also how long do I need to do this? Says here, it's difficult for me to be here. And and sometimes to just notice, yeah, it's difficult for me. That's why I want to be already there. How many people want to be more developed than they are? They want to be there. It, how many people see even enlightenment like a marathon? I will meditate hard for 30 years, but then I want to be there. <laughs> and then I want it to be over, like just bliss. But life doesn't work that way. We don't know what's going to happen on this planet. We. We are, we are beings and re-traumatization happens in this world and stuff will happen in our life, maybe, maybe not. We don't know. And what's my actual relation to life? And, this, and I'm saying this because looking for the perfect world, the Tao Te Ching, Stephen Mitchell's translation says also, true perfection seems imperfect, but it is perfectly itself. And I think that's also such a powerful sentence. Like, we are looking for perfection, but actually when we look at life, what's happening always fits to the underlying energy flow. And our job is to get the underlying energy flow. So when I'm I'm trying to look for perfection, to look at, okay, what's actually hard for me here? And sometimes we think, no, nothing's hard for me here. I am perfect here. Yeah but we don't know how many parts of us left throughout our development or ancestral development and and so we we are coming back until we can really rest and and that the paradise comes here versus and what that means is not that the world is all perfect but I change my relationship to the world that's happening and I I, I come more in and I will feel more intensely what's happening. I will be much more a participant. I will become a friend of life versus somebody that is constantly looking for another moment instead of for a depth in this moment. And, and there, I think, the perfect attunement is part of it. Sometimes it's not going to work. And to hold these moments compassionately, say, yes, that's my edge. And if I'm fine having my edge and if I'm fine that some patterns are alive in me and I'm dealing with those then it's not I want to be already more developed some people say I still have that pattern and then I often ask them what what do you mean still still sounds like you shouldn't have them or it's almost over (laughs) yeah right and so yeah but Let's have a look at that. Maybe that's why it persists, because you're very busy still having them. And instead of saying, this is who I am. I, yeah, that's who I am. But we, uh, we cannot intellectually say that, but that I begin to live a life where the things that seem imperfect in me, it's a sign of safety that I can say, yes, all of that is also me. There might be many other qualities, but all of that is also me. And it's so relieving because in the moment that grows in us, we become more free because we don't need to hunt to become somebody that we are not. And we befriend more the one that's here. And then and then we I think healing happens. And then we also like more magnetic and an invitation for other people to find their place here like homing like it's like a finding your home in this world and i think that's very important finding a home in this world a home that feels safe and safe and it's safe because sometimes life is not safe Sometimes, you know, criminal stuff happens, racism happens, and some people are very exposed to that. For them, life is not safe. You cannot just say, oh, feel safe inside. No, because life is not safe for them. And so we need to do everything to make it safe as much as possible as a collective effort. But then in the healing work, we're also looking, okay, how do I find more safety in the home inside? And then I can be anywhere in the world. It doesn't matter. It's like I I will find my way and I will also feel when it's not safe and I will feel when it's safe instead of being constantly vigilant that something might happen. And as I said, some people really live in the circumstances that very often something happens. So it's not, we cannot uh, make sometimes this kind of spiritual concept sound very flat because some people are exposed to a lot of violence every day. So we need to be very mindful of, of that too.
2: Thomas, there is oh, I'm just trying to find the words to express my gratitude. <laughs> Pardon me, is just you can trust that you're just receiving it through the beaming. <laughs> I do. I do. I do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> ah and yet there is so many conversations left unturned that i would uh if it's okay with you I'm... ask you on air so i can somewhat hold you accountable to it as a cheeky little amrit there's you know the flow in the nervous system and us connecting to our life and the flow there's a whole conversation there yet to happen and also the deep knowing like there's a whole fascination that i have around there but podcasts to come i hope if that's okay with you let's stay um, connected and see yeah, yeah. Let's, let's <laughs> It's oh my God, it would be yeah. such a pleasure, but I have to thank you for your time and your presence um, and your willingness here today to be so open. I am definitely, one of the big things I'm taking away from our conversations today is actually that to develop, for some reason, it's, you know, I've always imagined structure in development, um, almost like a tree and its branches, but for me, in today's conversation, development. Is an invitation to more openness, and that actually feels quite daunting. Um, but it is—it's uh, the right kind of, <sighs> <laughs> um, yeah, feeling inside. It just—it's—it's it's incredible, and I have to say, attunement. I'm uh, attuned. Sorry, the the book incredibly well written. I'm surprised at just how much depth it covers in such a short space of time you've written it so concisely it is pardon the pun extremely digestible (laughs) Uh, and yet it um it covers so much ground and i'm convinced that those that are tuning into the podcast today you probably in awe also of how much ground we've covered um in in the hour that we've shared here today together as well in the book is nothing short of magic we've just scratched the surface i highly recommend anybody check it out i'll put it as the first link to the show notes below. Um, I trust the summit is coming up as well. We'll put a link to that as well. Um, anything else, Thomas, you'd like to point out from your ecosystem for the world, for people to connect into, should they need um, any support on their journeys?
0: Yeah, first of all, I want to thank you. It was lovely to get to know you through the conversation, to be attuned to you and to, uh, you know, feel you in the conversation. Thank you for these mindful questions. And I'm sure the more conversations we can have uh, on on subtopics. It's very rich. Uh, yeah, I think you said it. We, we have this incredible summit, collectivetraumasummit.com and we also, I mean, the main... I think information about my work is at thomashubel.com. And the last thing, maybe the NGO. We are running an NGO that does amazing work on collective trauma healing in all kinds of ways, and it's the thepocketproject.org. And I think all of those together uh, are great points to connect and get a feel of what we do. Yeah, and thank you very Absolutely. much for the generosity of your
2: hosting. I'm beyond touched. It is my absolute pleasure. And uh, yeah, I am extremely looking forward to attune to you again <laughs> yeah. and, uh, and have another yummy conversation. Thank you so Great. much. Great. Great. Thank you so much. Yay! Thank you so much for tuning in to this amazing episode of the Inspired Evolution. Without you, the Inspired Evolution tribe, this podcast would not be what it is today. Thank you so much for your love and your support. Thank you so much for being so inspired to evolve. It's truly inspiring. If you haven't already done so, please subscribe to the Inspired Evolution on YouTube, the home of the Inspired Evolution's video podcast. We release inspiring conversations such as this every week, along with guided meditations and empowering insights all designed to help you grow and evolve.